Are you okay? Don't care. Great. Bring on the bubbly. Babe. Hey, Podsters. Welcome back to the show. This is Teeny, and this is another episode of Are You Okay? The podcast where we unpack why nobody is okay, usually and mostly myself. However, I have been the most okay that I have been in the last year and a half because I had the opportunity and privilege to be back on stage, baby. That's right. Theater is back in Canada, and this is the third episode of a three-part Theaters Back series that I decided to do last minute to kind of end off my second season. Surprise, surprise. This is the final surprise though, folks, okay? I need to regroup and plan for season three to level it up again and bring you some more amazing content and accredited guests. So this week on the Theater is Back series, we're going to be chatting with Stephanie Graham, who was the director and choreographer of the show that I was working on. Now I'm back in Toronto, baby. I am back in the closet after six weeks in the city of Gananoque. Hold up. That was not a city. That was a small town at best. (laughs) And it was really nice to get a break from Toronto. Like, don't get me wrong. Like today I was driving into the city and I was like, yeah, I missed the city. And then I was in traffic and I was like, get me the fuck out. So perspective, right? We have all changed. And essentially, the thing that I that I remember the most about working with Steph was how different the rehearsal room felt. We've all changed in the last year and a half. And so it would be crazy. It would be stupid to not approach things to approach things the same way that we were before, right? There is a level of gratitude, there's a level of growth and learning and unlearning that we've all done in the last year and a half. So Stephanie really brought that to the forefront for me. It was the safest I've ever felt in a rehearsal hall. The cast was wonderful and we did beautiful work. Now, granted, this was a very joyful show. We had the privilege to just have fun and celebrate and kiki for like six weeks and it was awesome. And so we've got Stephanie with us today. She's a Canadian legend. She's worked all over the country and I'm going to pick her brain and kind of give you guys a little insight into what it's like to be her and her process as a choreographer and director. Last week, we met Brett Christopher, who is the Managing Artistic Director of the Thousand Islands Playhouse that we were performing at in Gananoque. And then the week prior to that, we met the three cast members that I was working with and living with. Lord knows we popped a lot of bubbly. Bring on the bubbly. Let's welcome Stephanie Graham. Okay, Podsters, I've got the one and only Stephanie Graham here with me today. I can't wait to pick her brain. Welcome, Steph. Hi, Teeny. How are you doing? Where are you? Are you in Toronto? No, I'm actually out in Yarker. Um, so between Kingston and Napanee on the farm. Yes, you're on the farm. You've been super, super busy. I know that. Why don't you share with us some of the things that you've been working on recently? Well, we just opened back in 59 at Thousand Islands Playhouse. And then I went straight into uh, a semester teaching at Queen's in Kingston, Ontario. And then I'm also just finishing up a symposium that we wrapped on Sunday, the 26th, which was called Theatre Making Movement with my amazing co-producer, Sarah Obrecht. We are the Dance Me A Song Collective with another co-producer, Ray Hogg at Prime Mover. Just trying to start the conversation about how we can include movement 
and be a part of like the essential development of Canadian musicals. Awesome. That's great. So you're so busy. <laughs> Lots of make work projects, but yes, <laughs> busy. So Steph, you're very busy. You are the director and choreographer of our show that we just put together. Now, before we kind of unpack what that was like, um, that experience here in Get An Aquay, we I kind of want to give you the floor to tell us who you are, obviously Cliff Notes version. I know you've got a lengthy resume, but kind of the steps that you took within yourself and your performance career to get you to where you are today as a choreographer and a director. Yes, well, my I started dancing when I was really young, uh, about six years old, and mostly in a sort of creative movement ballet studio, didn't do the competition thing. Um, really went to the National Ballet School for a year and thought that might be my path. But of course, hit high school and started doing plays and community theater musicals. And I wasn't really sure where I was going to go. I had applied to several universities for science. And then um, a friend who, well, now a friend, but a, a good, a young man who had brought into our community theater, who was a professional actor, had gone to Sheridan. And he said, "What, well, Steph, I think you should audition for Sheridan. And I was like, what's that? <laughs> so um, audition, got in. My parents were always very supportive and um, said, you know, try it for a year. If you don't like it, you can defer your science and go do that at another time. Uh, but I loved it, of course. And so after three years, I armed with my photo and resume did uh, a 13, 13 year performance career all across the country. And then uh, after that time, I was sort of ready for a change and something new challenge. And I had been doing a lot of dance captaining. I thought, oh, this might be interesting. So was working on a um, new musical as the assistant choreographer. And I was gonna swing the show as well. And I'm realizing sort of, oh yeah, all those girls are five to 10 years younger than me. And um, but I was really loving the creative side. So I sort of thought, well, maybe this is something to explore. And I did one more performance contract after that summer and then sort of never looked back. And I just started doing small choreography gigs and then just started rolling and rolling. And then I've always had an interest in direction. Um, so yeah, I started assisting and then jobs started coming my way, which was great. Yeah, that's awesome. So was Back in 59 one of the first shows that you did choreography on I think you kind of remember saying something like that to me yeah I had sort of made the decision in 20 sorry 2008 that I was going to start transitioning to choreographer and the first time we did back in 59 was 2011 so it was one of the first like in those first few years of of transitioning to new something new um but yeah it was, it was fun to do I was so excited about it yeah, and you've always been a part of the show in some capacity, correct? Like every time it's been done? Yes, and that, except for the production in the U.S. I wasn't involved in that one. But all the Canadian productions I have either choreographed or directed or had an associate restage my choreography. Yes. So before we talk about the kind of COVID of it all, I know hopefully we're going to get to a place where we stop talking about that. But, you know, it's very prevalent right now and we want to hear where you were at. But before we kind of get into that, I'm curious, this question just kind of popped into my head. What is your process as a choreographer? Like, what do you do first aside from read the play? Like, how does it start for you? Read the play, listen to the music, um, start to understand the world of the play. And then do I, t I do a ton of research. So research about the time period, research about 
what vernacular dance steps there were in that time period. Um, yeah, a ton of research. And then obviously having conversations with the director, if I'm just solely choreographing. And then, um, yeah, once that happens, then diving into the narrative and what stories I want to tell within the movement. And then steps are always the last thing that happens. Okay, cool. So going into the COVID of it all, where were you at when the pandemic hit? What were you working on and what were your plans for that year? Yeah, 2020 was going to be a pretty busy year for me. I was slated to uh, do a choreograph a play at Manitoba Theatre Centre called The Legend of Georgia McBride, which is an amazing play by Matthew Lopez, who just won the Tony for The Inheritance the other night. Ah. And so I was, it was, um, it's a lovely play. And uh, so I was getting the drag, there's drag queen numbers. So I was working on doing some research on drag queen, drag queen choreography. And then I was supposed to direct and choreograph Billy Elliot out at the Globe, um, which is the one that I think will always be, be such a huge loss out of this pandemic for me. And then I was supposed to direct and choreograph The Music Man in uh, at Thousand Islands Playhouse in that summer. And there was a couple of possible projects in the fall, but those were the three that I was really looking forward to. Yeah. Obviously, that was devastating. It was devastating for all of us in some capacity, right? Some worse than others perspective. We can be humble and all that good stuff. But at the end of the day, it sucked. And so what was that like for you, Steph? Like kind of getting personal, your journey throughout the pandemic as an artist? Like what was your biggest struggle? What was your biggest revelation, so to speak? So many struggles. Oh, my gosh. Daily, you know, daily. <laughs> um, just, you know when artists are the worst about like we define ourselves by our job like we say i am a choreographer i am a director you know this is who i am as a person versus like that's my job mm -hmm. and you know step i mean i think a lot of us do that i am a teacher i am a nurse but it's really hard for us to separate the job from the person i think because it's just part of who we are as artists so with it was sort of that question of like you take everything that I think I do and I am away, who am I without yeah. this? You know, that was a big question. So a lot of questions about that. I mean, there was days of, you know, varying degrees of grief and especially with Billy Elliot, like I took on a lot of the kids grief, which of course is so not in my control, but I just felt so horribly that these kids who'd invested, you know, 18 months of their lives to play these parts. And even if the show happened in two or three years, it's such a small window to play those parts that it wouldn't be the kids that that's we chose. a really good point. I didn't even realize that. So that was a huge, like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and, and knowing that that one would probably be canceled for sure. Like the other two projects were the, both those theaters said, we think that it's postponed for future. So it felt like, oh, it's somewhere out there eventually, but Billy being canceled, that was, ooh, that was a tough one. Yeah. So, I mean, I've always been a make work project person when I haven't been busy, I create stuff. So, I mean, we renovated our house and we, <laughs> I, I finished my degree and I did all these creative dance, digital dance projects that I just created on my own, just cause I was like, I need to, I'm a creative beast. I need to keep doing something. So, um, 
that was my like COVID year. <laughs> Your COVID journey. And that, no, and that's, it's really refreshing to hear you say that because it's true that it was, and there was an essence of grieving, grieving the loss of projects that we had, grieving the loss of future projects. And then something kind of hit home with me when we were rehearsing together stuff. You were like, how about the artists and the creators that didn't have anything booked for that year, knowing that sure, we're going to be doing all those things that we meant to do that year and then some, and who knows when you're going to work next. Yeah. And I think that that's a level of being so grateful for anything right now. And I think, I, I hope that we carry that forward, being so grateful to be able to do what we do. It's, I, and again, I hope that carries forward. Yeah, I'd say that we were <laughs> beyond grateful when we were here. It was such a beautiful process. Thanks to you, Steph, like you really did harness such a healthy environment for all of us. And there was a lot of dialogue between like, don't, you know, don't kill yourselves, guys. Like we're not in the shape that we were once in, like mentally, emotionally, all that stuff. But here we were killing ourselves anyways, because we're like, we're just so happy to be here. <laughs> I know. I think that I, I was working with some students yesterday who are theater school students and I, I, you know, they've been training on Zoom for 18 months and I just, I thank them for continuing their training that way, but also just like remind yourself, you know, be kind to yourself. It's okay. Like, you know, it's going to be fine. You're, but also just giving yourself a sense of, um, letting things go like if you make a mistake whatever <laughs> like it's theater you know the it's audience like, has no idea first of all it's not life and death like you know we're not doing brain surgery we're doing awesome awesome things that are amazing but it's okay like you know it's gonna take a while yeah and that's the thing i remember like i had my moment of like oh shit like maybe I would go home normally. I discussed this with Julie as well and like drill those steps and drill those harmonies. But this year we've all been able to take a step back and like remind ourselves that that space and that time is equally as important as reviewing and cramming that all in your brain. Um, but we've all got so many existential crises going on up there now. So, <laughs> so true, so true. <laughs> yeah, so that being said, awesome. So we harnessed a really healthy environment, in my opinion, in the rehearsal hall. So Steph, what are those main differences? Being a director and choreographer pre-pandemic, you know, using everything you've learned, holding all of that space, and now creating a rehearsal hall today. Like, what are the main differences for you as the leader in that process? I'm not sure my process is any different, I think, but what I was conscious about in this time is let's actually talk about it ahead of time versus kind of like just being like a natural magic that happens. Um, let's actually lay out some amazing, um, I'm not trying to say rule, not rules, but let, let's lay out some guidelines or some things that we all as a group collectively want our rehearsal room to be. And talking about that ahead of time, I think was really healthy versus just kind of letting it flow and then it becomes a great rehearsal hall we just said no this is how we as a group decide we want to run this room and i think that as a and trying to think less hierarchical structure and really in, including everybody because it obviously it naturally is a hierarchical structure and 
unless you're doing a devised piece or you have like seven weeks of rehearsal as opposed to 12 days. 12 um, days? <laughs> yeah, 12 days of rehearsal. You know, I mean, it, it's, it has to be a fairly prescriptive process in those moments. There, there is room for discovery, but sometimes you just have to get the show up when it's a short rehearsal process. Um, but I think trying to make sure that everybody feels like they have agency in the room. Yeah, that's and, a good way say, of putting it. And saying that from day one versus like it, it just kind of happening. I think that's the main difference. Yeah, and holding space for like, like you said, everyone being able to contribute where, you know, it's not always like that. I'd say that it's, I don't think I've ever experienced that if I'm being quite honest. Um, and, you know, we discussed having a room agreement, which I think is what you're kind of getting at where we could all add things or maybe discuss things that didn't, you know, ring true for us in that moment and vice versa. It felt so different this time around, obviously post pandemic, but obviously with this new kind of energy of doing things. Um, so Steph, why don't you tell us a little bit about the intimacy aspect of the show and the work that you've done during the pandemic to um, better prepare yourself for those, for that kind of scene work? Um, well, the amazing Siobhan Richardson, who's really at the forefront of intimacy direction in theater in Canada, and she has an amazing team. Um, she, she's a fight director as well, but uh, she's really, really leading the movement for intimacy directors in the room and just getting like they're in the Canadian theater agreement now, which is thrilling. Um, so I had taken a workshop uh, early 2019 with Siobhan. It was intimacy direction for choreographers, but kind of towards creators, directors, choreographers. And it happened to be four of us in a workshop. So we had a very small group, just the four of us with Siobhan. And it was so illuminating to me because of course you would never rehearse a fight or so you'd never perform a fight or perform a dance lift without talking through mechanics. So why on earth would we ever just jump into intimacy work without talking through mechanics. And I think it was like, luckily in my career, I've never had anything traumatizing happen, but I know many people have. So again, it's just about opening up conversation and talking through story beats. And again, then once you get through the mechanics of everything, then you can kind of add the emotion and the you know emotion of the scene back in, but always making sure it's telling story. So I think that's, that's been, that was a big, huge um, learning curve for me. And I, I it was like two full day of workshop. I loved it. And I'm, I've been doing over the pandemic again, like, you know, all of us have these like online seminars and <laughs> podcasts and you know, webinars and whatnot. So um, definitely interested in pursuing that more. And I think what's so great is Siobhan and her team, unless it's like, you know, really intense intimacy, but she sort of feels like everyone should be able to handle um, some smaller intimacy moments, maybe like a kiss or a hugging, that everyone should kind of have that education. Yeah, it's something I'm actually interested in too a little bit, Steph, if I do say so myself. Like it's, it's fascinating work and it's dismantling all of the dumb ways we used to do things. You're exactly right. Oh, you're two touchy-feely actors. You're open, you're out there, teeny. Go ahead and kiss, right? And it's not that we didn't know any better, but it's just like, we've got the knowledge, the power and the education, the people that can do this the right way so that we're all safe. A hundred percent. And everybody feels comforted or everybody feels comfort in the room. Everyone feels safe. Everyone feels 
like their concerns are being heard or, you know, those, those moments, because intimacy, intimacy is, uh, you, you have to be so vulnerable. And so again, even just talking about like, you know what, that if you touch me in this place, it, it just makes me feel very uncomfortable. And no, like, you know, no one would ever know that otherwise, if you don't have a conversation about it. Yeah, and everyone has varying degrees of comfort and what they're comfortable with with their friends or their family, right? There are some people who do not hug their friends and family, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just their barrier and their comfortability level. So I can only imagine, you know, being somebody or a survivor of sexual assault and going into a process like that and not feeling safe or heard whatsoever. So that was really eye-opening for me, the way that we did our intimacy bits. Really cool stuff. That makes me happy. Great job, Steph. Here I am. I'm just blowing smoke up your ass this entire podcast. But, you know, I got to do it. So. No, but again, um, if anyone's interested in intimacy work who's listening, um, get in touch with Siobhan Richardson. She's really easy to find on social. And um, she's just like the bomb. She's so cool. Yeah. I would love to do that, actually. Um, Okay. So taking it back to the show a little bit back in 59 and having worked on so many versions of it, this specific version um, is in the thrust. So we performed all three sides. And so your choreo had to work for all three sides of the audience, which was a challenge. What has it been? What's like the main difference for you, Steph, when you're working on different versions of a show as a choreographer? Like, do you go into it differently or do you just kind of take it day by day? Originally, when we did the show in 2011, it was in the round. So the audience was on all four sides. And then shifting to proscenium in the second year was a huge challenge because, of course, I had conceived it in the round and then shifting the choreography. Um, And of course, since then, it's always been done in proscenium. I've always shifted things like per production. There's always been something that's changed, um, but the core of, of the steps are this, are similar. Um, but uh, what was great about going to Thrust and having our amazing designer, Joyce, who had like never been a part of the show, never seen it before, which was so refreshing for me to have a new take as far as design goes. And so she made us this amazing bar that if, I was like, oh, I would got to use that somehow, which of course changes things in that choreographically. But I I think, you know, I love thrust or round because it allows for you to actually talk to people um, in a way, and as opposed to sort of like frontal presentational feel, you can really sort of exist in a 360 space, which I love. Which is so much more natural too, right? Like human beings, that's how they they converse right they're not worried about so and so getting blocked with their upstage hand you know so yeah it's more humanized but to touch on the bar podsters for those for those of you that don't know this bar like moves around um so jeremy for example gets on top of the bar we push him around so it's really fun to kind of include all sides of the audience and i really love doing the show in the thrust too it makes me miss like studio black box theater which i haven't done since like the fringe fest back in the day or school even so that's been really fun um steph i'm gonna hit you with this question what have you missed the most about doing theater it's really the people For me, like our community is so incredible. Some of the kindest, most hilarious, loving (laughs) people on the planet. And I mean, I 
being around other artists just fuels me. So being separated from other artists and like only existing on Zoom, which is not the same. Um, I mean, it was a fine substitute, but it's not the same. And for me, that was the biggest thing. It was so hard not to walk into a room and just have this friggin' awesome creative people around you. So that was, I think that was the hardest part. Yeah. And just like the community of it. Yeah. Um, no, it's been really great. Like <laughs> all these extroverts and introverts too, just like coming together and we're, we're just on cloud nine at a hundred percent every day. What is next for you? Next for me, uh, work-wise, I'm heading out in January to the Canadian College of Performing Arts. We're doing a new brand new musical called The Quest. It's sort of a developmental production that we're working on. So I'm dramaturging and uh, workshopping that piece with those students uh, in the next couple months. And then I am going back to Sheridan to do, I just uh, booked doing choreography on Head Over Heels. So super excited about working on that in the spring. And then who knows after that, we'll see. Who knows, who knows with the COVID of it all. People are announcing their seasons. There is hope, just like the show that we're doing says. And thank you so much for sharing everything with us today. It's been really nice to hear your perspective. I've yet to interview a choreographer. Love it. She's the first. Thank you so much, Steph. Thank you, Teeny. All right, podsters, that's enough theater chat for one day. But even if you're not an artist and you're a muggle, there is so much to take away from this little theater is back series because let's be real folks art will never die you will try to get rid of us but we will not stop making plays whether it's covid war the plague you know the walking dead happens to us somebody will write a play about it so deal with it support the arts and get ready for season three bitches. I am coming back with a vengeance. I've got a lot of meditating to do because Lord knows what am I going to talk about next. Thank you for supporting this podcast. It means more to me than you will truly ever know. It has been an amazing outlet for me and I know it's been an awesome outlet for a lot of the podsters who have reached out. So please follow me on Instagram at teeny time. Come along for the ride. Slide into those DMs. Let me know what you want to hear, what you want me to talk about. There is nothing that is off the table here, folks. I am always looking for awesome guests to collaborate with. Don't forget about the merchandise, baby. Become a podster. Head over to www.mortees.shop. That's a lie. www.mortees.please.shop. Canadian women-owned local business making my merchandise. You're going to want to check out my season two sponsors, Smooth My Balls, the ultimate ball trimming kit for anyone with balls or anyone who wants balls or anyone who needs to clean it up down there. There is an exclusive discount for the Podsters as well as 4Ocean, a company that I am so proud of and so proud to be working with. They are literally pulling out tons and tons and tons of plastic out of our oceans that we have put there and making jewelry with them and making a world of difference. Ah, holy shit. Am I done? Am I really done? Are you going to take away this microphone for me? Because I think it's time. Don't care. Great. Thank you.